e-commerce is, is all about like a Rubik's cube, right? You're finding an alignment of a lot of different variables. What, what's awesome about it is that everyone has access to the same stuff. But the only difference between someone that's successful and someone that isn't successful is that either they were more proactive, right? They failed a lot more times, so they got to the right combination or they're harder working. Only a quarter of the concepts that I come up with actually find success and are able to generate profit sustainably. But the difference between me and the next guy is I can pop out 50 concepts in a given year. And when they do succeed, they go on to become seven figure and even eight figure businesses. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout out. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now, let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Welcome back to the Business Method Podcast. We're glad to have you. And I am excited to welcome Kevin Zhang to the show today. Kevin is a 24-year-old serial entrepreneur, e-com entrepreneur, who has successfully built multiple seven-figure brands and is the CEO of Creator E-Commerce, a global business that features over 60 team members with facilities in three countries. Starting with only $3,000 saved from a summer job, Kevin became a self-made millionaire at the age of 23, only one year after graduating college. Although Kevin is young in terms of age, his traditional approach to business basics has helped him achieve acclaim with the e-commerce community for building 20 for building a 20 million dollar business in his first year as an entrepreneur impressive man he is highly sought out after as both an investor and strategic advisor for organizations focused on e-com and has helped these organizations strengthen their digital strategy ranging from a luxury fashion brand frequented by a-list celebrities to a nine-figure gaming company Kevin is a son of Chinese immigrants who came to America in pursuit of the American dream. Kevin has a passion for elevating those around him and views e-commerce as a means of extending opportunity to driven, hardworking individuals from all backgrounds. Aside from his own ventures, Kevin is also active in the world of entrepreneurship education. He also focuses his time on Generation E, a movement he founded to provide high-quality, free e-commerce education for all. He has a vision for inspiring and empowering one million million new entrepreneurs and on the show today kevin how are you my friend hey it's good to be here i'm doing well hope you're doing well as well and my goal is just to uh, provide as much value as possible to all the listeners out there awesome man and real quick before we dive into it i know those that are watching are going to be curious whose jersey that is so you want to tell me tell me tell the listeners what you told me that's uh that's jeremy lynn's jersey he's a personal hero of mine obviously as an asian american uh, it was it was incredible watching his journey in the NBA, and uh, you know it's it's something that gives me a lot of inspiration. So uh, I had to get my hands on that jersey. Did you get to meet him? I've never gotten to meet him. So uh, if Jeremy happens to be listening to your podcast, <laughs> you know this is uh, this is a good opportunity. I would love to meet you, Jeremy. Heck yeah, man, um, dude! Welcome to the show. And actually, we get hit up all the time by podcasting agencies for people to come on our show. 
99 times out of 100, we do not accept um, them. And when I saw your resume, I was like, yeah, that dude sounds cool. I mean, creating an ed- 20 million bucks in his first year as an entrepreneur, that sounds like a really interesting story. And so we've had some other e-com entrepreneurs on the show, um, and uh, they have very unique stories of how they get to that high seven and eight figure mindset. So I'm definitely going to see if your mindset overlaps and some of the strategy you use as well. But I want to dig like right into it, dude. How so people work their entire lives and don't ever make it to 20 million bucks in a business as an entrepreneur, you know, decades and decades of work and hard work. You hit it in year one. How? So as much as I like to take all the credit, you know, for myself, and I would love to say I'm some crazy wizard for I'll give the reasons for that kind of crazy story. The Uh first one is that I was blessed to be in an incredible space, right? e-commerce when i first started in august of 2018 the share of all retail that was online was only eight percent okay and when i when i was choosing the opportunities i was going to pursue that was the sexy statistic i could have read because in my brain i knew we were headed towards 50 50 right Right. like we are going to live in a world one day where at least half of the population is comfortable putting their credit card on the internet and, and buying right So one big reason is I think I played in an industry and had I not been in this industry of e-commerce, I don't think it would have been possible to do $20 million a year. I mean, $20 million in sales first year. If I was starting brick and mortar retail stores, of course not, right? It's impossible. There's a lot more things that go into play to scaling and also the growth of the overall market. For me, the market of e-commerce from 2018, the year 2019 doubled. So without me having to do anything, I saw the businesses that I launched rocket in sales quite simply because there were more consumers coming online more than ever. And you can imagine with COVID-19 that recently happened, that's even exacerbated even more. So do you, that's do you know first. what the percentage is now? So the last thing I read is that in COVID-19, e-commerce sales rocketed from 2019 compared to now by 44%. Wow. freaking crazy, right? Wow. So crazy, crazy growth. And it's because... Our big competitor called Mr. Retail got knocked out, right? Yeah. And uh, that, that was a great situation for me. Obviously, coronavirus overall, not a fun thing, right? And my heart goes out to 200,000 plus people that have died and all, and all their families that have been affected. And I don't like it, to be honest, because I'm locked down here in Los Angeles. But for business, it was on point. Right. Number two is that I approached e-commerce in a very different way. So I did something called the drop shipping business model, which you know I'm sure you and a lot of listeners have, have heard and probably a lot of people are already having a negative connotation out of it, right? Oh, this is, he's selling fidget spinners. He's selling this gimmicky nonsense, free plus shipping, you know, those kind of schemey ways of making money. For me, I knew about the drop shipping business model. That's not something I invented, right? What I did is I approached it in a way unlike everyone else. Mm-hmm. Everyone was obsessed with finding viral products. This was 2018. Everyone's obsessed with finding like that one crazy product. You know, you see those gimmicky type of ads, like the race car that turns into a bow or, you know, it's like a moon lamp. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. That type of stuff is what people are obsessed with finding. I looked at the market and I saw that, hey, if people are making money this way, it's not going to last. Okay. Because it can't be that consumers are always down to buy from these free plus shipping type of gimmicks, right? What I saw were brands that, on, like, that consumers actually admired, right? And these are the businesses that consumers trust. Like the North Face is not selling one product. It's not selling a bunch of random crap. It's selling outerwear. That's mm-hmm. its niche, right? Polo Ralph Lauren, the niche is preppy apparel, okay? Lululemon, the niche is athleisure. What I did is I built niche businesses that look like major brands, right? The same level of design, same level of sophistication, the same kind of cleanliness and trust that you would feel going onto a very professionally done website. What I did is I did it that way, but my products were your AliExpress dropshipping products. And over time, I got them labeled, right? I got custom packaging and bam, I'm an e-commerce brand, not just a dropshipper like everyone else. So that was the business model I approached. And I think that made me a lot more sustainable than a lot of the dropshipping space back in 2018 was that. And I would say the final piece uh, for that crazy number is I'm addicted to one thing and that is freeing up my time. And as a result, 
a lot of digital entrepreneurs, I think, treat whatever venture they're doing as kind of a hustle, right? It's kind of like, it's that hustly environment that we live in. That's the average e-commerce entrepreneurs. Like this is a great way to make side cash, or this is a great way to cash out. Short-term, short-term, short-term is what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. For me, I built infrastructure. I didn't make that much money personally on my first $5 million in sales because I reinvested it back into my business to build more and more and more infrastructure by focusing on remote talent, right? So over time, what I did is I automated most of my day-to-day -day responsibilities. And even on top of that, automated most of my management responsibilities, right? So customer support, I don't have to worry about it. Order fulfillment, I don't have to worry about it. I spent a lot of time building infrastructure in China. So even for fulfillment, I didn't have to worry about it. Great logistics, I don't have to worry about it. Even product research, I automated away. I don't have to worry about it. All I had to do at one point was just think about new concepts to go into. And I would have an assembly line of people, VAs that mm -hmm. I've trained, make a website. We could launch a new store every single week if we wanted to, right? And I can tell you my success rate in e-commerce is 25%. Mm -hmm. Only a quarter of the concepts that I come up with actually find success and are able to generate profit sustainably. So I fail the vast majority of the times I come a new concept, but the difference between me and the next guy is I can pop out 50 concepts in a given year. And when they do succeed, the 10 that do succeed, even the eight that do succeed, they go on to become seven figure and even eight figure businesses. Right. And I spent most of my time learning and also focusing on growth not on the weeds of my business because I spent the most bulk of my early success, early time and resources building out that machine infrastructure. And I think these three variables combined are really the solution for, I guess, my $20 million in year one. So you're, you're 24 now or 25? 24 years old. 24. Okay. And you started, how long have you, when was your first e-com store? So I, my, my full time, like all in as an entrepreneur uh -huh. was August, 2018. Prior okay. to that, I spent around nine months just failing. I was doing part-time while I was also a student uh, okay. in college, but my official start date is August, 2018. Nice. Um, and what got you to the point that said, like, what was the mindset or the thing that happened that made you decide, okay, I'm going all in in August 2018 and I'm not looking back at whatever else I was trying or take the traditional route and get, cause you had an opportunity to work six figure, yeah, make six figures a year for a company in, in a corporate world, right? Exactly. So I had a job offer from McKinsey, which is a great management consulting firm, would have paid me, you know, over $100,000 a year right out of college, which, you know, to, to someone from my background, my parents are poor Chinese immigrants, this seemed like opportunity in a lifetime. Right. For me, it was that it just didn't make me happy and fulfilled. Like that, that, that conceptualization of where I was headed didn't excite me. Because if you think about it, life moves so fast prior to that moment of thinking about a job. Like college, for example, freshman year to sophomore to junior, senior are so different. Like you're a very different person and your position on campus, who you know and what you're doing is so different every single year, yeah. right? It's like you go in four years from being bottom of the totem pole to being like king on campus. Like all the organizations you're involved in, you're the president, you're the leader. That's, that's a fast time track, right? Yeah. When I looked at the corporate world, it was like, oh my gosh, this might be in the trenches. This might be a dogfight <laughs> for 20 30 years. years. Yeah. And you might not even go to the top. Like people stay in the same spot in corporate America for five years. And that's not like a crazy story. That's like what everyone is going through. Right. And for me, that wasn't exciting at all. So I knew I wanted to do entrepreneurship in some shape or form. This was my last semester in college mm -hmm. and I was racking my brain. Right. I had this job offer that I had. Right. So that was like my safety almost. And I was blessed to have had that. But this last semester, where most people are partying and most people are like, trying to live it up before they sell their souls to corporate America, I was looking and I didn't care what opportunity I was going to do. I'm not one of those entrepreneurs that like when I was, you know, in third grade, I knew I wanted to sell stuff on the internet. You know, mm -hmm. like I was watching the Bill Gates documentary and, and his mom is like, when Bill was in second grade, he was, he was already creating computers. <laughs> yeah. And I knew that was his calling in life. When I was in second grade, I wasn't doing anything. 
right? So I was not one of those passion entrepreneurs and we need those types of people uh-huh. in our society. The ones that are like, regardless of my idea of wins or, or loses, if, if, I, if I die on the sword with this, I go to the grave with this, I'm gonna be happy. I wasn't that type of person. I was calculated. Like, I don't care what I'm gonna do, but I want something that's fast where I can, where I can really build myself fast, right? It's merit-based, not based on age or, or experience or anything. So it has to be cutting edge and new. And what is the best opportunity out there? And like I told you, I read that only 8% of retail was online. Wow. And I knew I wanted to do e-commerce. And mm-hmm. after that, I had to find a, a good business model for someone like me who only had 3000 bucks in the bank account. And that was the drop shipping business model. And that was my entry into e-commerce. But why I decided to go full time. When I was in college, I was doing e-commerce business part-time, right? Wasn't okay. making any money. But there was a day on St. Patrick's Day, and I'll never forget this. I did $6,000 in sales in that day. Didn't make any money on it, given refunds and everything, because I had no freaking clue what I was doing. My website looked like crap. My conversion rate was not good, but it blew my freaking mind. Uh I was like, I am on this crappy dorm room Wi-Fi. I am a full-time student at a very hard school, right? And I'm spending like six hours a day on this thing and getting no sleep. And... I, I think everything I'm doing is terrible. Like I wouldn't buy for myself, but, but, but around the world, someone just gave like cumulative group of customers gave me $6,000. Yeah. That moment was like the tip of the iceberg for me, right? Like this is not the last $6,000 I'm about to generate if I do this the right way. And in March, I told McKinsey, I'm not coming back. Like I did an internship with them. I got a full-time offer. I told them, nope. I'm not going to work for you guys. And after that, after I graduated in May, that summer was when I was by myself. Right. And I was still, I mean, I was doing full-time summer, right. My official business started in August, 2018, because that's when we formed the entity. My business partner came in and it's obviously it's a sexier story. When I say $20 million in our first year, it is true. First year of doing business, but it was in my first year of doing e-commerce. I failed for months prior to starting that business. Right. But that was kind of that journey. And that was the Eureka moment where it was like, I just tapped into a crazy, crazy part of this world and I'm ready to ride it. Hey listeners, if you're looking to amplify your income and become an authority figure in your space by getting booked on podcasts that your target audience is already consuming, then listen up. Our podcast sponsor today is podcasting you. Podcasting You helps entrepreneurs just like you generate leads for their business, increase business revenue, and become thought leaders in their niche of choice. Podcasting You takes care of finding the right podcast for you to be on, writing your pitch, booking and scheduling you on podcast, and even preparing you for each interview you do. They've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs get booked on thousands of podcasts, and they've booked people on top-rated podcasts like Andrew Warner's Mixergy, Jamie Masters' Eventual Millionaire, and the Mike Dillard Podcast. If you're interested in getting booked on more podcasts, go check out podcastingyou.com forward slash the business method. That's podcastingyou.com forward slash the business method, and they will give you $250 off your first package. I've been a guest on many podcasts, and I can tell you that I've benefited handsomely both financially and for brand awareness from being on other people's shows. So go reach out to those guys at Podcasting You. And now back into the interview. I love it, man. Um, So the business model that you have now is, or the business model that you guys came up with, you you wanted to build brands and then drop ship those from Alibaba, right? And so where did you get the, I mean, you, you have to have some sort of, uh, business insights or, or clarity or, or speaking or just hitting the right, the right business model, at the right time. Like, um, where did you get the idea for that type of model? And then- to be honest, I just, I thought about it very logically, yeah. right? Like it blew when I found out that people were making money selling like fidget spinners or like hoverboards or like, you know, mosquito sprayers and, and all this stuff. And they were doing free plus shipping and anyone was believing that it was free and all they had to do was pay shipping, it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I would never fall for something like that. Yeah. But it blew my mind in the sense of, I think this business model is crazy. Dropshipping is crazy because it lets you start a business with no inventory risk, but I'm gonna apply it in a way that I know, which was, I was looking at Allbirds, Dollar Shave Club, Kylie Cosmetics, North Face, like all these brands and consumers trust and that was that I never built one single single product store because 
I just, as, as a rational, logical person, mm -hmm. that business model didn't sit well with me. It's like, what do you mean? People are gonna forever, for the rest of time, come onto businesses where there's only one product and you're saying it's free plus shipping. Like, how are you gonna convince me that that's gonna be everlasting? So no matter what these educators or gurus or people that were making money, and I believe they did, were saying, I was like, you're doing it the wrong way. I'm not gonna do it that way because it's just intuitive in my mind that this is what customers really trust. And this business model will never die because when branded form of dropshipping dies, the rest of e-commerce by definition must have already died, right? right? Because if you go onto one of the websites my students build or I build, you have no idea that the products are from AliExpress because mm -hmm. the websites just look completely different. They look like the big brands. They look like this brand has been around for a long time. And that's where I wanted to create. So it was quite honestly, just the only thing I knew. It was like, it, it was obvious to me just by doing some sort of reasonable analysis that these other business models, even if they're working now, they're not gonna be around for much longer. And that's the case right now is yeah. payment processors crack down, Facebook feedback scores crack down. You know, Facebook's not desperate for advertisers anymore. The king of advertising now. So it's like, hey, you piss off all these customers, you're not gonna be advertised anymore. Payment processors are the same. Early when they were growth stays, they're like, we'll process for everyone. You could be selling scams and we'll process for you, right? Not anymore because they don't, they don't need to be that desperate. They're cleaning up. And when, when shop got cleaned up, I saw all of these drop shippers get kicked off, get banned, you know, get dropped over and we survived and we made even more because of that reality, right? And, and that was just the only way I thought this business model was ever gonna work, even though no one else was doing it like that at the time. Can you share some of the brands that you've built? Like maybe start with the first brand that you built and, and the ideas you came up with through that process? Yeah, so I can tell you the brands that I run right now, right? So these are good examples of the type of brands I bootstrap to. One is called hempx.la, right? And okay. that is a streetwear brand uh, made out of hemp Another brand is called Arrowhead Tactical Apparel, and that is a concealed carry jogger, concealed carry athleisure. And that one's been absolutely hotcakes because of the political climate going on right now. So those are two brands that are kind of examples of the type of brands that I built. Right now, I don't do as much drop shipping anymore because my focus now that I have a lot more resources is to build brands with a lot more enterprise value, right? Mm -hmm. But a good example of, I guess, a drop shipping brand uh, that you might not know is drop shipping is mlo.shoes and that's an example like you go onto that website you would have no idea even 80 percent of the products on amazon for example are based off of a drop shipping business model so it's yeah. ever present even when people don't realize it but you'll be surprised at how many of the products you buy on a daily basis started in a place like aliexpress but an entrepreneur put their logo on it made a lot more high quality, put custom packaging around it, and now it's very, very successful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the brands that you started off in the early days, were they? Did you, did you test these models? Did you decide like, oh, I just love these products, I'm gonna dive into it because I'm passionate about them? What, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, so I think e-commerce is, is all about like a Rubik's Cube, right? You're finding mm -hmm. an alignment of a lot of different variables. So what, what's awesome about it is that everyone has access to the same stuff. This is what I like about it. All the products you have, AliExpress, right? The e-commerce platform, Shopify. Advertising channels, you have two options, Facebook and Google, okay? Right. So the only difference between someone that's successful and someone that isn't successful is that either they were more proactive, right? They failed a lot more times, so they got to the right combination or they're harder working. Those are the only three reasons because there's no other differentiators. Mm -hmm. Everyone has access to the same stuff. Facebook doesn't discriminate your dollar spent on it compared to my dollar spent on it, right? right. So e-commerce is all about finding the right combination of the products, of the type of brand messaging that you're giving, the type of brand execution that you're giving, right? Your advertisements, your website, and also your targeting, right? When these things align, you're gonna start making money. And what you're trying to figure out is how many variations you have to go through how many times do you have to fail before you find an alignment of all five things, right? Okay. So I failed for a very, very long time in those summer months before I was able to find that right alignment. And that is basically the secret to, I guess, e-commerce success is that you just test. 
and test and test and test. And there will be eventually an alignment that hits. And the market is so big that even if you carve out the tiniest amount of market share, right? That is a seven bit figure business already, right? And then scalability becomes a lot easier because all you are doing is manipulating budget on Facebook, right? It's not like a brick and mortar where you have to build up stores every single time you want to scale. This is like you, you change the input of a number. If the alignment is there, you're going to start scaling your business. Mm -hmm. So that is basically what it takes to finally find success in e-commerce and the iterations you have to go through. So the big space that I played in and from August, right? August for that number was men's apparel and accessories, right? So all sorts of men's apparel and accessories, everything you can possibly imagine in men's apparel and accessories. We built a lot of different niche stores and that's how we scaled our business. That's amazing, man. So you had an investor come in in, in August of 2018 also, or a business He's partner? My business partner. So okay. investor is uh is an overqualified way of describing him. He was a person I knew from college uh -huh. and I was broke. And I wanted to keep doing e-commerce, even though I was not having a good track record. Uh -huh. And I, I convinced this kid that I knew in college, we were kind of acquaintances, give me $2,000 okay. to make another store or make more stores. And he said, Hey, I'll give you $2,000, right? Because I had a good reputation in college, mm -hmm. but what you, what I want in return is not, not just this investment. It's I want to be there every step of the way. And that led to us becoming eventually business partners and best friends. You know, we live with each other now and he's, he's like, he's literally like, we're, we're basically married, right? Our finances are tied together. We're living together. Um, we spend every hour together and that's basically the person that in a way I think really, really, really was a big source of my success because I had another person to, to focus on another part of the business that I struggled with, which was the creative side of it. Right? So he was okay. the person that was, I'm going to do Photoshop. I'm going to learn how to make great websites. And I could spend my time focusing on operational stuff, high level, level strategy, and also really get my hands in on digital targeting. When you're doing everything, it's very easy to be spread thin. He right. took that part of it that I hated. And that really gave me a lot more freedom to excel in those aspects that I just described. So he, he was new to e-com did, or did he have e-com? He's still was, in college actually at the time. Okay. Was he the first quote unquote partner you took on or were you growing and hiring people before that? Kind of, I would say like, while I was fooling around with dropshipping in college, I worked with like different people here and there, but not really. He was the really tr first true partner that I had. And okay. I think the difference between a partner and like an employee is someone that brings enterprise value on top of just doing the daily responsibilities, right? So yeah. if someone is really good at Photoshop and that's all they do, that's not a business partner. That's an employee. Right. If someone is really good at Photoshop, that's their day-to-day -day responsibilities. But on top of it, they're helping you solve problems, right? They're helping you make connections. They're helping you conceptualize very complicated things and figure out a plan of attack. That is a business partner. So he was basically my first true business partner, I would say. And when did you guys start to focus on, because you're at 60 employees now or team members now? Is that right? So the intro you got was kind of outdated. It was okay. when I was a lot more active in dropshipping. Uh -huh. Our number count has gone down a lot. I mean, I would say overall, we're still probably around 50, 60, right? Okay. If you count all the remote employees, but our business interests have completely shifted, right? So now a lot more time is spent running my education program, right? And then also a lot more of my time is spent building enterprise value focused brands, right? So these yeah. are the brands that you're manufacturing from start, right? You're not doing a dropshipping business model. Maybe you've tested the concept via dropshipping business model, but now you're, you're doing it like everything's proprietary, right? And we don't care if these things make any money or any cash flow for a very long time. Our focus is, can we build a very avid consumer base, right? Even if we're breaking even in all of our marketing, and then you hit that inflection point where you could turn off all marketing and you're going to be very, very profitable because okay. these people are going to keep buying over and over again. It's very different from the dropshipping business model, but this is where we've transitioned to because we've been blessed to be able to do that since we have the capital now, right? We have the experience. We're willing to take those risks and that's what we are growing now. So as of this moment, I don't really dropship that much anymore. So mm -hmm. all the dropshipping stuff, uh, basically it's become less worth of my time yeah. to manage 
And these opportunities are a lot more long-term oriented, which is where my head of space is at now. And also a lot more lucrative in the long run as well. I get it. Um, I'd like to get in more into your mindset about growth because to, to scale that rapidly, like you've, I mean, you've got to, you've got to have an incredible growth mindset one, two, but, um, just not have a lot of fear around the failure to grow that fast as well. Because I think with what I've seen with a lot of entrepreneurs is um, they have slow growth and slow growth is all right, but because they want to be involved in, in each process or each step along the way. Right. So, so what was your thoughts on, you know, employee or team member number one to the growth that you guys have now? What was the mindset behind that? So this is an exercise that I still do this do to this day. Mm-hmm. And I do it all the time. One week out of a month, I map out on Google Calendar everything that I do every hour of every single day for that entire week. And what I do is I take a look at that, right? At the end of that week. You do that once a week or once a month? Sorry. Once a month. I think a week can do that, right? Okay. And now it's a lot easier because I have a PA that can do it for me and I can just type her notes, right? But back then I, I straight up just did this, right? Yeah. And you'll be shocked when you look at it at what you actually do in a day. Like when you ask most people what you do in a day, they can't even tell you what they did fully yesterday, right? Right. When you actually visualize it, it's mapped out, you'll be shocked. And what I did is I took a look at that and I asked, what is the highest value of my time? Like, what should I really be doing with my time? What am I doing now? And what are things that I can automate, right? Even if the the person isn't gonna be 100% as effective as me, but maybe 80% there or even 70% there, but I save this time and I can now focus on doing it on other things, right? So I had one e-commerce business from August until December. Mm-hmm. By February, we had close to six. And that's because from August until December, what we were doing was building that infrastructure. And we spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources, training and hiring and finalizing that infrastructure. So what are some of the things that I I really, really figured out? Well, creatives, right? We got a whole graphic design team built in place that my business partner was teaching so that they could turn AliExpress photos into really great product photos and they could start making ads, right? What else did we solve for? Customer support, right? We hired not only our first customer support agents to start responding to customer support, but also promoted one of them to becoming a manager. And now this person's job was to hire more people for customer support the moment we needed it. So we didn't even have to think about hiring anymore. This person knew all of the metrics, right? We gave them the scripts. We read like almost every single email in the beginning. And we knew this is the way to treat customers the right way to reduce chargebacks, right? Reduce refund rate. And this is what you're going to do. Here are all the scripts. You have the hang of it now. Now you are able to automate that away, right? Something else that we built, spent a lot of time building was our infrastructure in China. Now Mm -hmm. I was blessed because my parents are Chinese immigrants. I know how to speak Mandarin fluently, but what I figured out was I'm not going to work with a bunch of AliExpress agents. I want one person that is in charge of all the procurement, right? All the manufacturing, if we need it, all of the custom packaging, the custom tags, the custom logos on products when we need it. And also all of the logistics, right? And that took a long time for us to build up. And we did this remotely, which speaks to how crazy technology is these days, right? Mm -hmm. But that had that problem solved, right? We spent a lot of time focusing on our cash flow, our payment processors, right? What is the right suite of payment processors that we use, chargeback prevention that we use, automatic dispute resolutions that we use so that chargebacks are no longer a problem. So for our first dropshipping business, right? we spent a lot of time making sure that this thing was going to work like clockwork, that mm-hmm. we would no longer have to spend the bulk of our days in the weeds. Another example, 3PL. We were repackaging and packaging the products and sending them back out to customers. Obviously, that's a terrible use of our time, four hours a day. You know, we always said we were the highest paid USPS people of all time, <laughs> right? Because that's, that's essentially what our job was. Right. We found a great 3PL partner that was now going to accept our returns, know how to inspect product quality, and then ship them back out to customers, all linked up through Shopify, that's automated. So for this first business that we had, everything became completely automated. And then what was the only thing we had to do after that? Let's get more concepts going, 
right? Let's start more stores. Let's get more niches under our belt. We're going to try every single one. And that we started doing on our own. It would be me and my business partner. We still made all the websites. We, I still ran all the Facebook ads. But over time, what we did is we even automated that. We even had someone that knew how to source products. Now gives it over the team. The product images are perfect now. Someone that knows how to build a great landing page based on stock photos and Photoshop. Bam, that's taken care of now. Someone that makes the logo, right? Someone that makes the first batch of advertisements. So it's all pre-packaged, comes and ready. And all me and my business partner have to do is review it, give a lot of input. We had someone writing all the copy and I still run ads every day because I don't trust anyone to take on that responsibility. It's something I hang my hat on, right? right. But that's all I really have to do on a day. That's all I had to do on a day-to-day basis except for responding to crises, right? So obviously when, when something, when shit hits the fan and I have to engage on something, one of our managers will tell us, right? And we have this big WhatsApp chat. That's basically a like chat for like every different division, if you will. But most days, 70% of the days, I would say, I don't even have to read the chats and everything is going smoothly. And now all we are focused on is what's our next concept, right? Or the bigger problems like, okay, these things are bestsellers, but our feedback score is not great here. What can we do to remanufacture this thing? How much capital we have to reinvest here, remanufacture all the products so they're a lot higher quality. You know, everyone's complaining about the zipper. How, how, what would it take if we just bought 50,000 units of this jacket and fixed the zipper so it's not the AliExpress product anymore and it's truly our own product and it's gonna make people a lot happier. Those are the issues that my business partner and I were tackling on a day-to-day basis. We're not in the weeds anymore, right? So I think the only difference between a six-figure business owner and a seven and eight-figure it's all process and all growth mindset, like you right. alluded to. Because when you make six figures in any form of entrepreneurship, give yourself a round of applause. You've done something incredible. You did something that didn't exist before. You breathe it into life and it's freaking making money. Mm-hmm. The only difference between you and someone that's doing the same thing at a much bigger scale is just that infrastructure. And infrastructure these days is still just as time intensive to build out, still as much headache to build out, but it's easier than ever because you have the global talent pool now and you don't have to only rely on your local geo or Americans, right? It used to be 10 years ago, you only could use Americans. A lot of our employees, most of our rank and file employees, our creative people are foreign and overseas. And it's a great, great, beautiful unison, right? And we use Americans when we need them, right? But vast majority are foreign VAs. And that's made a crazy difference in how we were able to scale. You're back to the, are you still using the same monthly scheduling format? Do you, can you talk about that process a bit more in detail? Because I think a lot of people, I do that on a quarterly and a weekly basis. So quarterly, I set my goals up um, that are in alignment with yearly and three-year goals and further down down the road but then uh weekly i have a weekly planning process as well but i'm interested to learning to learn more about your process of the monthly plan and how you schedule it all out even working with your assistants now yeah so what i take a look at is in my week right what am i doing every single day and there's going to be patterns that you find like some tasks are going to be persisting throughout the process right and then what you ask yourself is how much would it cost to automate this piece of it away? Okay. And can I automate it this piece of it away? And I have, I guess, a few rules of automation. First thing is you have to understand something before you decide to automate it. So mm-hmm. I answer customer support emails for a very long time before I automated it, because then I know how many, how many emails should you be replying to an hour? I know what efficiency looks like. I know what it looks like to actually have a good conversation with a customer instead of copy and paste scripts. Right. Right. So, First, you have to understand it and then you're able to automate. And second, what you have to ask is this is how much it will cost to automate it. Right. And can I automate it based on the talent pool? I think you can automate anything these days because Upwork is what we use for all our talent. You can find anyone these days that can do anything right Mm -hmm. now in exchange for that free time slot there. What else are you going to do with your time? Because you've saved it. Right. What is the other high value activity that you're going to be able to do? And if you do it surgically, right, and you eliminate pieces every single month, if once a month, if you can eliminate something that's a consistent pattern throughout your week, if you can save two hours every single day of your week, that's 14 hours. That's a lot of time for you to now focus on something else, right? So that's what I do with my schedule every single month as I try to eliminate something. 
So the most recent thing that I'm trying to eliminate, right? For example, is that in my education group, right? This is something that I'm very, very actively involved in is I answer a lot of questions and they get pretty complicated because they're e-commerce questions. Mm -hmm. So the most recent implementation that I did is I put up moderators in my group, right? I spent probably 10 hours making a massive FAQ of like, here are the questions I see that are really 80% of all the questions that are getting asked. And I've answered these so many freaking times. Here's a master sheet of how you should answer them. And it spent me, took me 10 hours to do it and do it thoroughly. But by spending that one time of 10 hours, I don't have to answer 80% of the questions in my e-commerce education group anymore, right? right? That's so much time saved that I didn't have before, right? Now, the next thing that I probably want to automate, and it's something that I always go back and forth on is media buying, right? If I find the right person, and that's been my struggle, that I trust to run Facebook advertising on my behalf because I still do it for everything I'm involved in. I would say that's like the most inefficient thing I do, if you will, but I trust myself and I know that I'm effective and we had bad experience with agencies in the past, but that's like the big puzzle I'm trying to crack because the day I don't have to focus on marketing anymore or the actual media buying of it, that's another three hours a day that's probably saved for my schedule, right? So that's what I do on a, on a one month, once a week, right? I pick one week and that's what I do. And I try to save some of my time. And that extra time that I gain back, what I'm thinking about is growth, right? Okay. That's all I'm thinking about. So right now, the big growth thing that I'm thinking about is my Ascension model, right? In my e-commerce education group, it's going great. People are getting great results. What is the next thing that, it, now I can sell them, but what is the next bundle of value that I can provide that would justify X price? And that's what I'm really, really thinking about right now, because there is something that I could provide that's very high value. Maybe it's teaching people that I've already been very successful at dropshipping in my group. Now, how do you translate over to enterprise value focused brands, right? The long-term vision that has a lot of steps, a lot of pitfalls in it. Maybe that's the next package that I offer. So that's what I'm thinking about now. But the moment I crack that, bam, my business has just exploded because yeah. now this is another product that we're offering that doesn't exist in this education business right now on Arrowhead Tactical, for example, right? What I'm thinking about in terms of growth right now is we're killing it on digital channels, killing it on Facebook. Is there a wholesale play? That's a very big question to answer, right? That is the question fit for a CEO to spend his time answering. It's not how do we deal with customers on a day-to-day -day basis, right? right? It's not how we deal with fulfillment on a day-to-day -day basis. If I crack that piece of the puzzle of wholesale, that could turn into a seven-figure, eight-figure business line, right? That just doesn't exist right now. So these are the, the types of problems and questions that I ask myself on a daily basis. And that's the type of issues I want to spend my time focusing on. Now, in the beginning, you can't do that because you have to wear all your hats. You don't have any money. You don't have any resources. Mm -hmm. But I think too many entrepreneurs, either they're too scared of handing away responsibility to someone else yeah. or they're too cheap. Like, oh, I don't want to automate this because it's expensive. Well, by you saying that, you're also saying your potential is super low because you're literally saying, if you're not willing to spend, let's say an extra 200 bucks a day to save yourself two hours a day, you're valuing your time at less than a hundred bucks an hour. Yeah. Then really, what are you doing as an entrepreneur? If that's the case, right? If you're trying to build an eight figure business, your one hour of time is worth way more than a hundred bucks an hour, right? You got to start thinking about that earlier rather than later. So either they're, they're, they're too untrustworthy, too cheap, or, they've just become almost like in love with like the daily grind. And I find this all the time. Like it's like the job mentality, but people still have it when they're an owner. Like they like to do the day-to-day -day tasks and they get a lot of joy out of it. it like, it feels like I'm, I'm going to work, right? I'm working yeah. on my business and they don't want to lose that feeling, but you're not going to grow if you don't lose that feeling because Tim Cook doesn't spend all of his days in the grassroots of Apple right? Like infrastructure is there for a reason. And I would say that's a big differentiator between me and a lot of the other e-commerce people out there. I, I don't think I'm better than everyone at Facebook ads, but that my creatives were better than everyone else, or that I had some crazy knack. I think it's just my business partner and I, and maybe it's because we came from an institutional background. We went to university. We understood, I think from an early perspective, this is not a hustle. This is not some side income. This is a business and businesses need processes 
and infrastructure. And that's right. where we focused a lot of time building. I love that, man. Um, do you do you like to keep a consistent schedule with the work that you do focus on? Like maybe you spend um, your mornings working and focusing on those bigger projects and then any other miscellaneous tasks you do in afternoons. What's that look like for you? I would say it's less of a consistent schedule, but I would say the structure is more of like in my lifestyle, right? Like I know, for example, early in the morning, I like to do my reading then. I like to do like my this is like reading that isn't direct impact in my business, right? It's like, okay, no one's going to pay me to read these books, but I want to read them because I think they're going to instill certain things in me that for the long term is really going to make me a difference maker. Right. And I would say in the afternoon is when I start thinking about like more of the day-to-day -day functions, right? Like checking in with people, hopping on a show like this one. Like those are the things that are kind of like, I don't really need to use my brain. To carry i mean not saying i don't need to use my brain in this interview but i've done these <laughs> on these podcasts where it's like i'm not i'm not i know what i'm not mean. building a rocket with you right now right? i'm not I'm using not my brain either so exactly <laughs> so so that's like my little afternoon and then i would say late afternoon into the evening is like my deep think like let's solve some problems yeah. let's create some new concepts and i would say it's it's more structured in that way rather than than tasks because i would say my day-to-day -day does change very, very dramatically, depending on what we're doing. I hear you. What are, what are some of those books you've been reading in the morning and, and why do you choose so right those? right now, the one I'm next to me is, is, is Blink, right? By Malcolm yeah. Gladwell, nice. one of my favorite authors. And this book is super interesting. It's, it's all about how over analysis or longer term decision-making isn't necessarily more accurate, right? So it's, it's a very interesting book, basically that like, hey, your first gut, if you're able to train yourself to have a good gut, sometimes it's more accurate than if you spend a whole week thinking about a problem, right. which is really exciting as an entrepreneur because moving fast is definitely a lot better than moving slow in this space, right? So that's what I'm reading right now. So for example, is this book gonna give a tangible ROI to my business? No, that's why I, I wake up super early to do this because I don't feel like I'm robbing attention away from my business, right? It's like no one's up anyways, that's why I'm gonna engage in this. But I think the principles I learned from here is gonna change me as a person or it has already change some of the ways I think about problems and that's going to have a massive ROI and not only my business, but the life in general in the long term, Right? So that's a book I read. And then most recently I finished contagious, uh, which is like all about how things go viral. Um, okay. and, and that was like a very, very interesting read as well. Uh, usually how much, how much time do you read in the morning? I would say anywhere between an hour to an hour and a half. Oh, nice. Um, first it's, thing it's when you wake like, up, it, it's, yeah. So first thing I wake up, what I do is, um, I, I've been trying to implement this. It's called MJ mornings, right? So you don't look at your phone for uh, the yeah. first hour and you spend 30 minutes doing some sort of physical, like exercise, stretching, meditation, something like that. You spend 30 minutes doing something actually entertaining. Mm -hmm. Now this is kind of contrary to what people would preach, but you do something that like you think is fun, which is like, you could watch a TV show or you could play some video games, 30 minutes. And then for 30 minutes, you do something that's intellectually stimulating. So for me, it's reading articles, it's reading forums that I'm still a part of, right? Trying to learn, like I'm still in a lot of Facebook ad strategy forums, doing that. After I do that, I check my phone for the first time, I see what's up, right? And then if nothing crazy is going on, then I start reading for an hour, an hour and a half. And then after I'm done reading, I enter into that afternoon where it's, okay, let's do some of the day-to-day -day stuff that I have to do just as a CEO of the businesses that I run. Uh, do you keep a regular sleep schedule, same hours every night or are you off? Um, it, I, I would say I average probably eight hours of sleep a day, but obviously it's, it's situational, right? So it's right. like, if something comes up, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice sleep. Um, so usually it's, it's when I lose sleep, it's because something in China happens and the time zone difference means that my evening is like their morning. Right. So I can't just decide to go to sleep and handle it later because then it's like, I miss a day of their time. I, I, I have a big thing where I never want to be like the impediment to things happening, right? Like, it's like, I want as many things parallel processing as possible. Mm -hmm. And if I happen to be that obstacle, that's what I'm focusing my time on. Because the moment I resolve that obstacle, they're free to do what, what, what they're going to do. Then it's right. like, they're working without me working. So the only times I would say I, I consistently lose sleep is when something happens in China. And obviously with, with the political dynamic right now, 
I just always get like random scares probably once a week where it's like, oh, you know, if this happens with the administration, this might be happening. We're like, hey, this logistics really change or these passenger planes can't take off anymore. And this was a big cert, you know, big reason for our logistics or, hey, you can't sell to this country anymore because coronavirus is in whatever third wave and, and they're being more restrictive. So those conversations are the ones that that rob my sleep schedule. And then what about, so evening times, you said you focus on like some of the big, the big vision, uh, the big picture, big vision sort of thing for the business. Uh, do you have a, a time you like to stop, eat dinner and then decompress before bed or what's your, yeah. So routine? I don't really, I like eat my meals at my desk to be honest. And obviously it's something I can do because I don't have like a, a serious relationship or like a family where like that time has to be used for something else. Yeah. Uh, decompression for me, I would say is before I go to sleep. So I, I like to take a, I like to take like a really long shower. And that's also like symbolic for me of like, you're cleansing yourself of the day. Like, don't worry about things because I'm just someone that my mind races yeah. and I won't be able to sleep because I'm just thinking about a thousand things at once. Um, but that's like my big decompression. And then after that, you know, maybe I'll read another book or I'll just like, I'll, I'll use social media as a consumer, not as like uh, trying to sell something, which is, you know, like I'm always in social media every second of the day. So it's like, now it's like, you know, I can enjoy my Instagram time and, and look at some stupid stuff. And then um, that, that turns into sleep. What are some other habits that you think um, you have that make you make you able to build business faster, but also be like a high performing individual on a regular basis? I would say I wish I was a lot more high performing, honestly. So I think that's like the <laughs> big I honestly and I'm not I'm not doing that as like a humble brag. Uh -huh. Really speaking, I think that I could be even more efficient um, with with a lot of my habits. Like I think I could be a lot more disciplined in a way. Um, I go through phases of discipline and non-discipline, right? I go through phases where it's like, I will wake up at 5 a.m., beat everyone up, and I am, I'm, I'm locked in, and I'm sleeping by 10 p.m., and that's like, I would say that's my most productive phase. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm not in that stage, and I don't like how I go like this, to be honest, and I don't like how when I travel, when I go do something else, like I, I went to Vegas um, two weekends ago to look at properties, and obviously I had some fun in Vegas also, and it, that really disrupted me for like a week, Right. That's like the big thing I'm trying to change. So I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the highest performing person I know, but I would say a big thing about me is that I'm very, very structured and I'm very, very logical. Right. And I try to remove emotions from business decisions. And I think okay. that was a gift I learned when I was a consultant. That was one of the few things I learned in that summer, which is like, Hey, your feelings have no value in the world of business. Everything any problem you're trying to solve can be broken down into its core components. And then you can break that down further and start driving value and solving for it. Right. So it's like, okay, should we start wholesale? Right. What you do is you map it out. Should we start wholesale? Well, what is the revenue potential of wholesale? Right. And then you map that out. Okay. The revenue potential has to check out. What is the, what does the cost structure look like? And then you're spending time to research that. Right. What does now the execution look like, right? You can break down anything you want to do in your life or your business, right? With your basic issue tree analysis. This is what we do all the time at McKinsey, right? And if you break that down, that is your roadmap that you have to follow and you can precisely knock down every single pillar, right? So with this wholesale problem, first thing my team and I are going to figure out is what is the revenue potential? And what we're going to do is we're going to call, we're going to figure out how do we figure that out? Do we call people that we know you know, in the e-commerce network that explore wholesale, like how did that look for you? You mm -hmm. know, like what was the lift that you got, right? We call maybe some agencies that specialize in wholesale deals. Like what, what is someone of our business? We look, information gathering. We're going to figure out the answer to that question. After that, what does the cost structure look like, right? You pitch a lot of different people. You gather a lot of resources. This is what a wholesale deal looks like. This is what manufacturing will look like at wholesale. This is how much we're going to be able to make versus how much production is going to cost. You can figure that out, right? And then execution. Like, how do you actually lock in these deals? Is it more of like, you need a salesperson that's boots on the ground, very charismatic, gives a good pitch and he's just knocking door to door. Or is there mm -hmm. something you can handle virtually? Like who are the big players that buy wholesale and how do they like to do business? I don't know right now, but we're going to find out in the course of next week. Right. And once you figure all of these things out, all of a sudden this complicated endeavor that seemed like it was so 
next level, like a next step that we've never taken before, we know exactly what we need to do. And I think if more people broke down anything they wanted to do or any goal they had into those core components and now had a structured path of knocking each one down, they would get all the answers they needed to actually go out there and move. Because I don't doubt that entrepreneurs have desires for things and also are willing to work hard for them. I think it's that in between that roadmap that gets a lot of people confused or it's like a very big roadmap, like very big roadblock that seems a lot more daunting, but you know, this is how the biggest companies in the world. And I can speak to that solve any problem is when McKinsey. And I saw this firsthand when we go consult, when we were consulting for a massive client, multi-billion dollar business, we still broke down problems with issue trees, mm -hmm. right? With basic logical analysis. And I think that applies to everything in life. I like that format. Um, what's your prediction for, so in 2018, you saw that, I think you said 8% of retail was online, right? And, um, and now it's up to 44% online. What do you think the next five years is going to look like for, for e-com? I think coronavirus really accelerated things. So yeah. it's even a faster timeline. I think the last research that I was reading was that by 2025, it would be 50 50 right so i really think that we're going to hit to close to that number by 2022 or mm -hmm. 2023 right now i think because we've accelerated our growth there and this this growth statistic by the way is i don't even think captures the full picture because it doesn't capture emerging markets right because right. emerging markets don't grow linearly like the united states does anymore right the united states is like the growth is not going to be zero to 100 anymore but when you're doing these growth models, what they're not factoring in is like Africa right now, there's no e-commerce, right? Right. But it's, it's not like it goes from no e-commerce to a little bit of e-commerce to a little bit more of e-commerce to a little bit more to, you know what I mean? It's like, it goes from no e-commerce to e-commerce and bam, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I think the big opportunity is not only is the marketing continuing to grow in the United States and all the markets that are already going to grow. And I think that has to do more demographics older people are dying, right? It's sad to say this, but older people are dying. Younger people are more comfortable using their devices. And also that basically goes bottom up, I think, right? Younger people are using their devices to buy things, get mom and dad involved. They have an Alexa now, they're buying things, right? And people are just more comfortable buying things online. Amazon's become such a big part of our life, right? Yeah. Uber's become such a bigger part of our life. I think people are more comfortable with the internet. So that's feeling that growth. I think in these emerging markets, a big opportunity there will be to figure out how you can be one of the early, early e-commerce players in those markets. So that was something that we did while we were dropshipping with Brazil is we figured mm -hmm. out how to process boletos, which was their domestic Brazilian currency. We translated all of our sites into Portuguese, right? And that was the scalability wasn't as high as the United States, but it was so profitable and I knew it's because these guys have never seen e-commerce offers before in the way that Americans have been beaten down by them, yeah. right? So I think that's going to be a very, very big opportunity for people that are proactive and are willing to figure those pieces out because they're not going to pay with credit cards. A lot of these countries, they don't have that credit card culture. With Boletos, you pay at the post office. So a big problem we had to solve was, what is the phone script you use? How do you get the phone staff there to call these people to actually get them to pay for orders? Mm -hmm. And then how do you figure out fulfillment? Because you're not fulfilling orders the moment they buy anymore because they haven't paid. So that was a big problem that took us two months in order to solve. But once we solved it, it was like we were the only players in a country that is has a middle class the size of the United States population, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and another emerging market too because, you know, the e-com down there is not... It's, it's still, not it's not sophisticated. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this is fascinating, man. So, so you hit 20 million in the past two years. You're going to hit another, you're going to hit 40 million in the next two year, two so, years. So I'm, I'm going to be very honest, probably not because uh -huh. of the transition to business model that, yeah. that I've experienced sales mean a lot more now, uh, in terms of long-term growth. So, um, probably not going to hit another $20 million in the next year. Right. But my goal now is in the next two years, can I sell a $20 million company? Can I sell mm. a business for $20 million? That's what I'm very interested in pursuing. And that means a lot more to me because on that $20 million, my profit margin was probably 15, 
18% all blended, yeah. which was great, you know, for some of my age. And it, it gave me a nest egg to, to do a lot of things from there. But that's the big challenge I went across. And that's a, that's a harder challenge, right? There's a lot more variables that I haven't learned yet. And it's, it's a whole different ball game, right? You, you can't run sales and discounts all the time right. for, for a brand that you want to sell for $20 million one day. So that's my big mission. Where do you want to be in 10 years? 10 years will be 34 years old. Um, to be honest, uh, and this is, this is crazy. You're probably the first person I've, I've told this to like in a, in a public format. Uh-huh. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in the private sector or, yeah. or in business either. I, given my background, my parents were very poor when they came. I saw the American dream play out before my eyes. And I know that once I have the money situation figured out, right. And, and, and I mean, generational wealth or, or something that I'm very proud of, like, Hey, this can not only fund my family for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. But also it'll be the seed for the impact I want to make as a human. I know that what's going to make me very, very happy is public sector or social sector work. So that I know that's going to be the next frontier of, of the types of problems I want to solve. And I think each and every single day I'm running my businesses, I'm learning the tools that I think is missing a lot in those two spaces. Well, you're doing some social work now, right? With you have a like e-com education business, but also I think I read you're working with the native Americans, um, scholarships. scholarships. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right now that's, that's a hobby, right? And, uh, I want that to turn into my career and then my business and wealth building to become the hobby. Like I would love for my money at one point just to be focused on investments. Mm-hmm. right and focused on managing it and making sure that it grows at a at a low risk healthy pace and that's like the 20 percent of my day that i spent in business and then i want 80 percent of it to be you know solving the the, the big problems that I'm, I'm very passionate about which is the big problems that uh, i face as a child and also my my family faced when, when i was growing up i love it man dude incredible story kevin i i really appreciate you sharing that and i've learned a lot just by sitting down here and i think i'm gonna have to re-listen to this episode oh sure you flatter me man <laughs> um yeah if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on where's the best place they could do that at yeah so you guys can find me on instagram which is at kevin zhang official k-e-v-i-n-z-h-a-n-g official and if you're interested in e-commerce interested in my education program i have a free training at kevinzang.com kevinzhang.com forward slash learn perfect man any final tips for listeners before we sign off yeah i would say my final tip uh for for everyone here is okay so this is gonna be a longer tip right so sorry Sorry. we're hawking up more of the that's okay let's do it let's do it i believe in a very powerful skill which is called self-manipulation right your honesty and truth is very important when you deal with other people i think right But I think there is a trick that you can do, which is distorting the reality that you live in. So for me, for example, I truly believe, and I'm telling you this right now, like looking at you, I have 0% doubt in my mind that I'm going to accomplish the goals that I I have in my mind and my future. And I had 0% doubt I was going to accomplish the goals I had, even when I was struggling in e-commerce, I wasn't making any money. I lost $6,000. There was never for a moment that I didn't believe I was going to succeed. So if in reality, my odds of success was, let's just say some statistician would say 3%, 4%, I convinced myself that it was 100% and all I had to do was eventually get there. So the messaging that you give yourself in your head, it doesn't have to be the truth. It doesn't necessarily have to be reality. And obviously you want to be careful with this because you don't want to lie to yourself for unproductive reasons. But as long as it's productive, that's a very, very powerful way to live. And I think that gave me a lot of solace. My own brain was my sanctuary for when I was struggling. And with any form of entrepreneurship, there's going to be a lot of immense struggle. Do you have any process you go through? Say like you have a new goal um, and maybe self, self-doubt comes up or creeps in. What's your process of making or quote unquote manipulating yourself to make sure you're going to be successful? I take that goal and I break it down into its core components. And I give those core components probably an over-optimistic icing on top. And I, I really convince myself that big, big goals, big, big dreams are a lot more attainable than they probably actually are. Yeah. And that's a narrative that I play in my head. 
I love that, man. Okay, one more time. Where can we find you at? KevinZang.com, Instagram. KevinZang.com forward slash learn and at official. Official on Instagram. Cool. Dude, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate hearing all your tips and tricks and all your wisdom you've learned over the past few years as an entrepreneur. Uh, I'll have you back on the show if you want to come in a couple years when you hit 40 million. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully when I when I sell something. For when you sell, million, sell right? one for 20. There you go. Cool. Awesome. All right, brother. Thanks for coming on the show. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you all in the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And We'll see you all on the next episode.